This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 70, recorded on May 8th, 2017. I'm your host, Matt Lyons, and on this week's episode, we've got Corey Kluber's injury to talk about. We've got Mike Clevenger's outstanding performance in his place, Yandi Diaz's recent promotion, and a little weirdness surrounding it. And of course, we've got your questions. But before we get into all that, I want to thank anybody listening now, live on Facebook, or wherever or whenever you're tuning in. Please remember to subscribe on the podcast on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, and consider leaving a review. All that fun stuff helps us uh, get recognized, keep going, and it helps. It's nice to see and helps us improve and all that good stuff. So uh, here to discuss all these Indians things with me is none other than Mr. Jason Lucar. Jason, how are you doing? Hey, uh, how am I doing? I am doing, <laughs> I would say, better than the Indians lineup, but Ooh. not quite as well as the Indians bullpen. I'm doing somewhere in between those two. That is that is quite a scale, Jason. <laughs> You're going from like negative three to 104. Yes. Like 99% of the Earth's population, I am somewhere in between those two things right now. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, the bullpen, that's, that's, you're stealing one of my things already, but that's going to be one of the things we'll talk about here in a minute. But it's, it's been good. And otherwise, the offense hasn't, and they still managed to win three out of the last six games. So I, I guess sort of be happy ish. <laughs> I don't know how to feel right now. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, been a, it's a weird stretch. We, did, we didn't talk last week because my schedule wouldn't allow for it. And last week it would have been like nothing but sunshine on the podcast. <laughs> uh, the last week, offense has been pretty grim. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That's Although technically in the last week, oh no, it wasn't, that was yesterday. I was going to say that Mariners game where they scored 12 counted, but that was... That's one day behind. And then last week, the Indians, they did play, um, of course, they were 1-2 against Detroit. There was a rainout, and then there was Kansas City. They won two and lost one. But I would say the Kansas City series is just because the Royals have an offense that is somehow worse than the Indians in this stretch. And the Royals looks like it's that bad over the whole season, and it might stay that bad. So, so while the Indians are suffering through it now, the Royals are probably going to stay just about that bad. Um so, Jason, those two series, we'll just stay with the week for now, unless you had anything else from the week before that. But just what are your general thoughts or one thought for now on the last week's worth of games? Um, to remember that it's a week. Uh, it stinks to, you know, to string a bunch of crummy offensive games together like this. But it's just a week. When you look at the offense overall, you know, for the season, uh, it, you know, it's a different picture. And is a more, you know, I don't know if accurate's the right word, but yeah, probably accurate is the right word. You know, so it's it's hard not to get caught up in the most recent stuff, but the Indians don't have the second worst offense in baseball. They've probably got something like a slightly above average offense. Uh, and if the rest of the team, you know, the defense and the pitching are doing the way they ought to do, an average offense is going to be enough to win the division. Yeah, and like you said, uh, off the top there, if we would have done this podcast a week ago, all we would be talking about is how great the Indians are and how great the offense is. So it just swings week to week. It's just they're in a really, really bad stretch right now, and it's not very fun to watch. But my neck, my, my first point, I guess, is kind of going off that, but the opposite direction is that I think there's a light at the end of the left-handed pitching tunnel because, of course, even when the Indians have been good, they've been bad against left-handed pitchers, but... The big reason for that is, of course, Brandon Geyer and Edwin Encarnacion. They're off to terrible starts. Uh, Jan Gomes just is still terrible, or has been still terrible. 
But those three, they kind of, of all the bad offense in the last week, those three were kind of not, well, I guess Brandon Guy was still terrible, but Edwin and Jan Gomes were, Gomes was downright good and Edwin was at least passable and getting there. So I do think this whole being so bad against left-handed pitching, this is not the 2015 Indians. They can hit against left-handed pitchers eventually. They're going to come around. It's just that the players are going to lead, that are going to lead that run are just bad right now. And also Carlos Santana, he's slowly getting better against lefties too. So I don't think Jason Vargas is going to decimate the Indians all season long. Uh, at least I hope not. But I think there is light at the end of the tunnel as far as hitting its left-handed pitchers go. Even as, as bad as the offense has been um, in this last week, that's the one good thing that came out of it. Even though they, they, did, they did look bad overall against lefties still, but... Just there's, it's not total darkness now. I see a little pinprick of light way far ahead, <laughs> which is way better than a few weeks ago. Yeah, I can see that. I think, uh, like you said, Jan Gomes was good last week, and his numbers for the season now, uh, you know, it's still not what he was at when he was like a legitimately good offensive player. Uh, but at this point, his on base percentage is up to 324. Uh, you know, you want to see his his power go up a bit, but uh, you know, if he can add 50, 60 points to a slugging percentage and maintain that on base percentage, then he's back to being you know a comfortably above average player with his defense. Yeah, at this point, he's been roughly average on the season at this point, and of course, that's because his his defense adds a lot of value. Um, but Jan Gomes, average player. Well, it's maybe not what we wanted for him two years ago. With the rest of this team, an average player at catcher is fine. It's 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 wouldn't be a concern to me at all. So, yeah, he's been encouraging. Yeah, one kind of fun little tidbit that doesn't really mean anything at this point, but he's been like top five in the Indians in WAR so far, which is kind of neat to think about. Because even when he was bad at the beginning of the season, he's, his defense was still so good that he was valuable to the Indians even this early. So, I'm interested to see overall where he goes. Um, yeah, what's your next overall thought? Um, well, I, I mean, I, this can be our collective next thought because I know you're going to bring it up, but the bullpen has been so, so good. Uh, Andrew Miller, you know, understandably gets a lot of attention. Cody Allen, I feel like we've gotten to a weird point where Indians fans are the ones underrating Cody Allen. It's weird to have a player putting up good numbers and have that team's own fan base be the ones who don't seem to understand that someone's doing really well. But I feel like that's where we're at. Wait, wait, uh, you think that's weird? Have you watched the Indians fans watch Carlos Santana and Brian yeah, Shaw? And... <laughs> well, but Carlos Santana, it's like not understanding that the particular things he does well. Cody Allen has a 0.69 ERA right now with, like, what, 9 for 9 in saves or 10 for 10 in saves or something like that, and almost two strikeouts an inning. It's, like, he has exactly the statistics that any fan should be able to look at and go, like, oh, he's doing great. Like, he'd be a classic candidate to be getting overrated because potentially, like, his peripherals weren't that strong or anything like that, but... He's got a 0.69 ERA and a 0.69 FIP. Uh, and every time he comes into the game, whether it's the game thread at Let's Go Tribe or comments, you know, in you know, places like Twitter, there's all this like, oh, you know, buckle up, strap yourself in for the wild ride. He and might allow a hit. Yeah, I mean, like, 
I know his whip isn't isn't incredible the way his ERA and strikeouts are right now, but it's just really bizarre to me that he's he's the team's best closer in I don't know maybe ever. I I think off the top of my head I would tend to say if I looked at the numbers I would still put Doug Jones out of him. But you're going back like 30 years to get to Doug Jones as the team's closer, so. You know, for any fan our age or younger, Cody Allen's like the, the team's best closer we've seen. And it's not like this is his first year as a good closer. I don't know. It's weird to me. I, I don't know if it's because Andrew Miller in some way, you know, Andrew Miller's ERA is zero. Uh, and I don't know if, if Miller is so impressive looking that it's just like skewed our sense of what a good relief pitcher looks like. Um, but Cody Allen's been awesome. I think Cody Allen, Andrew Miller right now, probably like two of the five best relievers in the American League so far. Like, you know, both legitimately should be on the all-star team. You know, we're a month away from really talking about that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the bullpen has just been fantastic. And, you know, the starting rotations had some hiccups, and we'll get into some of that. And the offense, you know, like I said, average overall, dreadful the last week. Uh, but here the Indians are in first place, and a big part of that is, you know, they get to the sixth inning in a close game, uh, and their chances are really, really good. Do you think the Allen thing is just because he's a closer? Like, if, if Andrew Miller was the closer, and if he allowed a hit, because he had a couple games where he's allowed hits, like, would people get that perception? I think, even if they don't want to admit it, a lot of, Indi- or a lot of like, general casual baseball fans will kind of glaze out in the middle. Like, they're really excited at the beginning of the game, they'll just kind of have it in the background or casually watch in the middle. And they're really focused at the end. And if you allow a hit at the end, you're all tensed up. And you remember that hit compared to like Andrew Miller in the seventh to maybe giving up a hit and then just decimating three yeah, people. Maybe. Yeah, I, that's certainly possible. You know, Cody Allen is, if he's in, it's the end of the game and it's close or semi-close. It's just weird to me. Like there is, I mean. It is definitely it, weird. weird yeah. because You have to be fixated on base runners and completely overlooking how few of those base runners are scoring, uh, and even then, it's not like he—it's not like he's putting, you know, two guys in the inning on base. But I don't know; it's strange to me. For for all of the the really mediocre closers the Indians have had over the years, for fans to be freaking out about Cody Allen is sort of baffling. I think. And yeah, another one outside of um, Cody Allen being really good, and even Andrew Miller, obviously, is that Dan Otero, as bad as he was at the beginning, like in the last week, he's he's another one who hasn't a lot of run, he hasn't issued a walk, and he's struck out a bunch. And he's he's just one that I don't think anybody even notices anymore, and nobody really noticed last year, he ended up really, being really good, then we were worried this year, it'd be like Jeff Manship, where he was good for a season and then fell off, but like everybody in the bullpen has been super good in the last week, especially. The only one to allow a run is Boone Logan, once. And that was a crucial run. It was in the the 3-1 Royals game. But still, like one run you gave up in the bullpen. That's incredible over a whole week. It's it's just such a good core right now. Andrew Miller is the obvious one. And every time it comes up, it's just fun to time him. I don't know why I do it now, but I wrote that one post about how quick he worked. And now it's like he's in and out in less than 12 minutes almost every single time, which is super fast. With And it's just ridiculous how good he is. So the whole reliever core, I can't imagine... I don't think it'd be a very good start if they weren't this good because the offense hasn't been great. Uh, the starting rotation, as you mentioned, hasn't been great either. So we owe a lot of not panicking to this bullpen right now, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, they're 
I don't I don't think there's a better top two guys in the bullpen, you know, that no team has anyone doing as well as Miller and Allen right now. And then like you said, a lot of the other guys who, you know, are are to be counted on are are doing pretty well too. Yeah, and as a group, I mean, 20 in the last week, so 20 innings pitched, seven hits, one earned run, that Boone Logan won, 30 strikeouts, 10 walks, so just a great group overall. Um, yeah, like you said, that was going to be one of mine, so we'll make that our combined one. I think they've been good enough where we can count it as both of our point together because <laughs> they've just been that good. Um, but my other one, this is going to come up every single time somebody does it in a situation where it doesn't make any sense. I think I mentioned this before once um, in our little three observation things, but bunting is garbage, Jason. <laughs> I mean, I don't care if you support bunting, if you like moving a runner over to score a run, but you don't do it in the first inning of a game with no outs, with your leadoff runner on second, and maybe one of the best players ever in your franchise up to bat. I don't know who told him to do I have to imagine Francisco Lindor did that on his own because he thought he was doing something. But no, uh, for anybody who didn't watch, he did it against the Kansas City Royals yesterday. Um, it, it was bad. <laughs> if it was, if I've always said this about the bunting thing with Lindor, if it was Lindor or if it was Terry Francona telling Lindor to do it, obviously that's on Tito for telling him to do it. But if it was Lindor on his own, that's on Tito too, because he should have stopped him. Like, <laughs> unless he had no, he gave no indication he was going to bunt going up. And then all of a sudden he did it and Tito didn't know either. Like, how do you do that? How do you justify? Is there any reason for him to bunt there, Jason? Or am I being over, over no, anti-bunt here? I you know, I think there are situations where a bunt makes sense. Uh, there aren't that many, and yeah, none of them are in the first inning, <laughs> and just about none of them are with arguably your best hitter at the plate. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. And I should I, say, this doesn't include bunting for a hit, like to beat the shift. I am all for that every... I don't care where that is. If you can yeah. do that and you can get and on it, do it. Later in a game with a bad hitter up, you know, with the right base runner score, you know, that kind of situation. There are situations where bunts don't bother me, uh, you know, even sacrifice bunts. But, yeah, not nearly as many as they're actually called. I will say, I don't think, you know, it's, it's early enough in the season that, like, the sample size – you know, and what the team's on pace for, that stuff's all a little skewed. It, generally speaking, I'm pretty sure the Indians are bunting less than they were two and three years ago. So Francona or well, other... they have to be, yeah. It's It's gone down, at least. Yeah, there was the a point. Is in the game thread yesterday, uh, I won't call anyone out, but <laughs> someone was saying it's, it's really hard to like Francona because of all the bunts, which to me... Going that far with the sentiment, being driven nuts with the bunts is fine, but saying you can't really get behind Frank Kona because of the bunts to me is ridiculous. Because for even for however many bunts there are, that's such a small part of what Frank Kona does. Who, meanwhile, has overseen the most successful stretch of baseball the franchise has had, you know, in basically twenty years. Uh, if you're an Indians fan and you can't enjoy Frank Kona being the team's manager you should find another team because <laughs> on the whole, and that's not to say he's above criticism. He's not, but to say you can't like him as a manager because the bunting is absurd to me. Oh, it absolutely. And they have to be bunting less than they were a couple of years ago. There was a point in rookie or on Lindor's rookie season where they were bunting more than every other NL team too. So <laughs> I haven't looked at it, but 
I can guarantee they are. I don't know if that was, again, Tito telling them to slow down or them just doing it on their own, but they are clearly bunting less than they were before, which is a very good thing. And if, if like you said, if you can't support Tito over bunting, I don't know what... Like, you know how managers, like, teams always love their managers for a while, and then there's a sort of falling out. Like, I can't imagine how bad Tito would have to be for that to happen. Like, I know there was a point where everybody hated his bullpen management and hated how he relied on his players. So I guess if that came back a lot, I don't know. We, we Let's make this our own fan question, Jason. How What would Tito have to do, like, over a long stretch of time for you to decide he should be fired? Because as much as you like him now, you have to admit, like, eventually... If a manager's bad enough long enough, you're going to say, all right, he should be gone now. Yeah. Like, but I don't know. What, well, do, what well, do you have to do for so long? If, if a manager is bad enough, 90-some percent of the time means if the team is bad enough. Yeah. Uh, I think it's very hard for most fans to separate the quality of the manager from a team's record. So, you know, the Indians having gotten to the World Series and, you know, heavily favored to win the division this year, if they don't win the division this year, that would be a big disappointment. If they didn't, you know, if they don't make the playoffs this year and next year, I think for me, it would probably be like, I think I'd need three years in a row of not making the postseason before I turn on them. Yeah. Maybe like two and then one big collapse, kind of like in Boston sort of thing, or just three yeah, in general not making it. There's nothing plausible. There's nothing plausible this year that could cause me to turn on them. Off the oh, top yeah, of my sure. head, I can't think of anything that feels plausible that next year. Um, I, I, I guess, I don't know if you've been following the Met situation. <laughs> oh, yes. I love uh, pointless drama, so I've been following the hell out of that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, but there you go. There's a team that was in the World Series two years ago. And, and missed, I don't yeah. know what I would have thought of Terry Collins then because I'm not a Mets fan. So I wasn't following the team in a way that I would really have an opinion of the manager. But they were in the World Series two years ago, and I can say with pretty good confidence that if I were a Mets fan right now, I'd not be happy with Terry Collins, which I guess means if this year goes poorly and next year gets off to a terrible start, maybe that quickly. But the Mets situation right now goes beyond what I would really call plausible. <laughs> so I, I think for me, Francona is probably safe until at least 2019. Yeah, the Mets thing, I think, is the whole organization. Like, hug the Indians next time you think of them. Just give them a big old imaginary hug. <laughs> like, yeah. having a system that's just will run from top to bottom. I have no idea what we're talking about. You should just <laughs> quickly look up some of what's happened with the Mets in the last, like, two weeks. Like, uh, you can't even say one thing to Google. Just Google Mets disaster because there's, like, yeah. what, five in you'll the last get, two weeks? You'll get a bazillion different pages <laughs> that you can click on. Some of uh, them you can't click on at work, other ones you can. Yeah. <laughs> just take a risk. And so let's make a, a long Hail Mary bet here. Um, Terry Francona's kind of mentioned that he might, I guess there was like hints last year he might retire soon. So do you think he's going to retire an Indians coach or is he going to eventually like go somewhere else for some other reason before he retires? I tend to think this is his last managing job. You know, I could see him eventually working in a front office, you know, higher up. Uh, and then at that point, I mean, I could see that being anywhere. Um, I could also just kind of see this being it, you know, I don't know, there aren't nearly as many former managers in front offices as there used to be. I mean, manager to general manager used to be a pretty common path. Um, Dave Stewart may have ruined that for, <laughs> for a while. Although was Dave Stewart even ever a manager or just a coach? I At this point, GMs are Ivy League people. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. 
And I think Francona would be the first to tell you he doesn't fit that mold. So maybe this will be it. I can't see him managing anywhere else. Um, in terms of how many more years, I guess I, I really just think it kind of depends how it plays out. I'd be fascinated. Are you the kind of person, if you were Francona, would winning the World Series make you more likely to retire, to go out on top? Or would it make you more likely to keep going because things are going so well, why stop? I mean, like that first week after the World Series, all I'd be thinking of is I'm going to retire now. <laughs> like that whole relief of winning it and not having us do it and think about starting it all over. But I, I think like most athletes and coaches, once they get closer to the season, they sort of want to do it again. So I don't know. I think in general, if I'm in a Fred Conus situation, I don't know. I think I think I might still want to do it and try to do it again at least a couple more times. I wouldn't want to ride it out until like I'm like fired, so... Win a World Series, have a couple more seasons, see what happens, and then retire, I think is what I would do if I was Frank Conner. All right. But but I hope he just says, screw it, and coaches forever, because I love him as manager. <laughs> I just hope they win the World Series this year, and then I frankly don't care what he decides to do. <laughs> That's I true. I find out if he retires if they win the World Series. I would love <laughs> to get to see that scenario play out. Yeah. So, what's your uh, last observation here from the last week? My last game? thing, I'll bring it up so that... You don't have to be the one to bring it up because <laughs> you get to seem modest that way and I get to sort of acknowledge that for for one game at least, uh, I've been wrong. Uh, Mike Clevenger uh, did a really, really nice job getting called up yesterday and pitching against the Royals. And yes, the Royals offense is terrible right now. Um, but I thought he looked good. You know, he didn't allow a hit till, what, like the fifth inning? Oh, yeah. Uh, he had some leadoff walks in there, but watching the game... You know, he was he was just missing the strike zone on a lot of those. I didn't think he was getting squeezed or anything like that, but he wasn't – they weren't bad walks. They were, you know, working the edges, you know, trying to make sure he didn't, you know, give up a, a smash. Um, you know, leadoff walks aren't good, but they they weren't bad walks. And, uh, yeah, I, I thought he looked really good. Um, you know, we'll see if he's got another start in him or not. That probably has more to do with Corey Kluber's back than anything else. Um, but I said before the season, I thought Clevenger was maybe behind Merritt. And then Clevenger started off so well that if he was behind Merritt, you repassed him. <laughs> and at this point, you know, I think he's bought himself like two or three bad starts for the Indians before anyone but him would be, you know, the sixth guy in the rotation. Yeah. And the thing I saw him, I think, do was most impressive was that when he missed and when he did all the walks, most of them were low. Like, when he when he was up and he was bad last year, he was missing the outside of the zone against, um, what was it? Was it righty? So right-handed pitchers, or right-handed hitters. He was really bad in the outside of the zone. But this this time around, like, if you looked through his first few innings when he had a couple walks, it was all low. Like, he didn't have anything up in the zone. Everything was down. His movement is just insane. So... If he keeps everything low, if he, he can miss a little bit, he had four walks, that's a little much, but he struck out five, and like you said, one hit through the whole game he allowed, so I've been on the Mike Clevenger bandwagon for a while now, and I'm going to stay firmly on it, <laughs> because yeah, I'm really excited about him. I think, uh, you know, like I said, I think at this point, he's sort of cemented himself in that spot. Uh, I'm sort of anticipating Kluber's not ready this week, and you know, Kluber misses maybe, hopefully just one more start. Yep. Uh, so I, my guess is Clevenger gets another opportunity. Um, you know, we've talked two weeks ago, we talked about Tomlin and or Bauer potentially pitching their way out of the rotation. Uh, 
Tomlin has looked better than Bauer since then. At this point, I would say Bauer's the closest to losing a spot. And I still think he'd be a couple bad games away from it. But, you know, if, if Kluber's out for two more turns and Clevenger looks good twice and Bauer looks bad twice or, or Tomlin looks bad twice, uh, you know, at that point, it'd be getting pretty close to Memorial Day. And I think, you know, you could potentially see a switch. I'm not expecting that, but I think it's certainly a viable possibility at this point. Yeah, and that leads obviously into our first news story of the week, is that Corey Kluber, he is injured. He had a couple lingering stuff before, but he kind of fought through it. Um, but last week against the Tigers, he only pitched three innings. It was really bad. Five earned runs, seven hits. He did not look like Corey Kluber. He left. We found that it was lower back soreness. Um, the Indians did put him on the 10-day disabled list, so he did miss a start. They brought up Clevenger to replace him. I don't think it was Clevenger immediately. It was like Armstrong at first, and then some, who did Clevenger replace somebody else, but I don't think it was Kluber directly. Um but yeah, Clevenger obviously took over his spot. Cologne got sent down, I think. Cologne was up, and then Cologne yeah, got sent right. yeah. Which I didn't realize he was on the roster, because yeah, <laughs> he didn't even He actually appeared in a game. <laughs> yeah. Um, but last week, uh, CBS Sports reported that the Indians were going to evaluate him on Monday, which was obviously today, and see where he was. And then today, he was, ob- uh, he was evaluated, and Tito said on Kluber, quote, uh, we're going to send him back to Cleveland, the reason being he's not ready to start his five-day cycle. So getting him back there with his physical therapist... He can do some one-on-one stuff, and then when we get back Friday, we'll regroup again. But since he wasn't ready to do that, it seemed kind of not silly to leave him up here, but he can't get done there. So um, he's probably going to miss, like you said, at least one or two more starts. Um, I don't think it's too crazy to say at least like a month as he's recovering stuff and working through it for sending him back to Cleveland. So Clevenger, he's at least going to be here for a little while longer. He'd have to be pretty bad, I think, to... Maybe he doesn't take over Talman or Bauer's spot, but right now, to replace Kluber, he'd have to be pretty bad, I think, for anybody to come up and take it away from him. Um, Kluber has not looked himself early on. He usually doesn't early in the season, but he usually gets better, and this time it's just injuries. I don't know. Do you think this has anything to do with the the pitching deep in the last season or just a really bad coincidence? Yeah, I because I mean, he he pitched a lot of, of innings, you know, with less rest than normal. Um, I don't know. I mean... Who are either of us to know? It certainly seems yeah. possible. Uh, but he you know, he had that one great game. He pitched a shutout, what, like two weeks ago. Uh, other than that game, he never really looked very good to me. And he had a uh, different injury he, every time, too. He had the blister, and then yeah, there was another back thing. And... Exactly. He seems to have multiple things. but You know, a blister is a little different, but he's got, you know, multiple aches and pains. So I don't know. It's concerning to me, though. You know, the Indian. I'm not worried about, you know, it, it costing the Indians the division. I think even if Corey Kluber evaporated into thin air, the Indians are the best team in the Central. But in terms of, you know, their chances of not just winning the division but getting back to and hopefully winning the World Series, he'd be a massive loss. And he, he you know, not quite a quarter of the way into the season has given them one really good game, a couple okay ones, and three frankly, pretty bad ones. Uh, so I'm, I'm legitimately concerned about Kluber. And the kind of underrated thing about how he's been replaced is that it hasn't really been Clevenger that's replaced him. It's been Carrasco, who's looked like every other year Corey Kluber because he's been amazing. So it's kind of like he's been bumped up and Clevenger's has just been kind of in the bottom. And it just shows the depth of the Indians. And I don't think Carrasco's getting like a whole lot of talk. Have you seen anything? Anybody excited about Carrasco? He just kind of goes out there, is amazing, and then leaves. And 
like you'd think there'd be like last year when Danny Salazar was this good, that was all anybody would talk about, but maybe we just kind of expect it from Carrasco now. But either way, he's replacing Corey Kluber pretty effectively. Um Compared to how Salazar is not that great this year, Josh Tomlin had one or two good starts recently, so he's maybe turning the corner. Bauer is a mess. I <laughs> I watched the first half of tonight's game, but I'm sure it didn't get any better from where he was. So the Indians, their, their depth, as we've always said, it's not enough to re, uh, to cover directly. Like if Carrasco or Kluber were injured, but the fact that Carrasco stepped up to be another Corey Kluber basically that means that Clevenger can be a number five guy, and it works as their depth and maybe Merritt will come yeah. up later if he has to. It's just the Indians have no, so many pitchers that losing Kluber is not a huge deal, even though you can't replace Kluber directly, but you can have Carrasco come up and then Clevenger come up and all kinds of depth. It's really great to have. Well, yeah, it's great that the Indians have enough talent in the organization that, yeah, that you're right, that losing Kluber, you know, in two weeks from now, he might be totally fine. We'll see. Uh, if they lose him, it doesn't sink the season, but it would still be a big blow. I mean, because because in the in the in the postseason, and I know last year, you know, they got there without Carrasco and Salazar, uh, but it took a pretty staggering performance from Kluber in the bullpen that we have no business expecting a repeat. Of, you <laughs> Even know, Tomlin, you can't expect that again. What so, Tomlin did in the playoffs in the end of the season. Yeah. So we'll see, but you know, I I'm not worried that it sinks the Indians, but just Corey Kluber, great pitcher, uh, I'm worried about right now. Whether and whether it was the extra innings last year, I don't know. Here's a question: Let's say it was. Let's say the workload in the postseason is what led to these injuries, and we don't know how these injuries are going to play out. Is it worth it to you? You know, they got to the World Series, they won the American League, you know, a game away from winning the World Series. The cost is Corey Kluber's messed up right now. If that's the trade-off, do you take that trade-off, or would you rather have, let's say, beat Boston but lost in the ALCS and Kluber's fine right now? Oh, I take that every single day. Like, I'm sorry, Kluber, but, I mean, if, if you're going to have that chance, um, I take it every time. The only difference I would have had was I was all for starting Merritt in the World Series when they – it wasn't Game 7, was it? I think it was, like – four or five that Kluber started and Merritt could have gone in there and been on regular rest and not had Kluber short. But in general, like if, if you have to burn one of your pitches to get to the world series and you have a legit shot to do it, I'm all for doing it. Um, but if you don't know what's going to happen, I guess it's kind of a harder decision, but yeah. knowing everything and like saying strictly, would you rather have not have had the world series run to have a healthy Kluber this year or had the run and had Kluber maybe be injured as the way he is now, I would take option B. Because, I mean, you can't replace going to the World Series. It's, you don't know that's going to happen every single year. The Indians could go all Royals next year, and then it's it's over for a while. There's so many bad things that could happen. Like, I wouldn't take back the one chance you had to get there. Other than that one decision in the World Series, I might change. But in general, I'm okay with what they did using Kluber so much. How about you? Yeah, same thing. Yeah. Because Kluber might bounce back and be fine. Yeah. It, and I'm going to say this, and people are going to think I'm worried this is the case. I'm not saying this is the case. If Corey Kluber's career as a good pitcher is over, and I know that, then I, I don't think I make the trade because they didn't win the World Series. Uh, but I think just the uncertainty over Kluber, yeah, winning the American League, I make the trade. I, I, I take the current situation. Is it fair to say that if they won the World Series, you're perfectly fine with Corey Kluber's career yeah. being over? <laughs> Again, <and laughs> yeah. apologies to Kluber. I love you. Uh, <laughs> 
But if the Indians had won the World Series, yeah, I mean, I'll, all right, how about this? <laughs> Everybody's knees if, explode right after the game. Okay. Francisco Lindor's career is over. Do you make that trade off? If they won last year? Yeah. Oh, man. I don't know. I mean, because, I mean, the thing with Kluber is he's already, I mean, he's only 31, but that's so old in baseball terms. He's a pitcher that he's, his effectiveness might be close to over anyway. But Lindor has so many years left. You could win another World Series or two with him. Um, sure. If, the, if it guaranteed the Indians a World Series and they ruined Lindor's career to get the one World Series, okay. And you know, in a selfish way, that also means Lindor was already was only ours when he was good. We can always look back at those couple years and say, we had him and he was great. You got him when he was 28 and already busted. <laughs> Which again, sorry Lindor, but to win a World Series, I would sacrifice pretty much any player over a season. Yeah. Which probably makes me terrible. Yeah. I would hope we still got his his New Balance deal, so he got some good money before his career went in the tank. But yeah, yeah, well, I'm sure he would have, right? Unless he was injured, like yeah, because he got yeah. it before the season. No, he's injured, like, injured in the during World the off season, no time was was over. But yeah, I mean, unless you're a fan of, I don't know. I mean, even the, I mean, the Yankees have won one World Series in the last what, like 17 years now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think in in 1996 when the Yankees won, you know, this same question with Jeter would have been like, no, we'll let it roll over because we're the Yankees and we'll win more World Series. Although even that, that was like their first World Series in like 15 years, which for the Yankees is like the equivalent of, you know, the Indians fans having waited 60-some years now. But yeah, yeah I think... 90-some percent of fans offer their team winning the championship and the best player is done as a great player. After that, they take it. At least in baseball. In basketball, it's a little different because, like, if you have the best team in basketball, you're unless your best player is a free agent, you're probably going to be back having a good chance at the finals the next two or three years. But I think in baseball, almost any fan would trade their best player's career for one championship. Yeah. And this this might I don't know if this is a controversial opinion. Or not. Maybe you can tell me, but I prefer the way the playoffs sort of work in basketball. I don't follow basketball that closely, but the fact that you can have the same two teams repeat so many times, I kind of like that. Like it doesn't seem as random as baseball. Like you can have a great team and steamroll your way through. That's how underdogs are made and how you get a bunch of fans in the game like watching dynasties growing up watching them. So I wish baseball had a team like that. I would hate if it turns out to be the Cubs. <laughs> But I like that that happens in basketball, and I sort of wish it did in baseball because it does feel so I mean, much like a crapshoot. Like the more you the get, just losing. You don't really, I think the fact that you don't really follow no, basketball that is why that works, though. <laughs> I think for a sport you follow casually, a few, you know, even maybe just two great teams, because that's like the Cliff Notes version. You don't have to follow the whole league that closely because it's just those two teams, and so it's exciting to see the two teams you know really well. Whereas like baseball, I watch it. Every, you know, almost every day for months and months and months. Uh, I would not be happy with, you know, Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers, Cubs, two of those four teams being in the World Series every year. But for basketball, it's like, well, I don't pay that much attention. So if it's going to be Cavs and Warriors again, that's cool because that's a narrative I understand and don't have to, like, get caught up on. Well, I don't know. In baseball, I only really follow the Indians as close as – I mean, I follow every other team too, but, like, to the point where it's – I'm following every single day. So if the Indians, I know they aren't going to make it every single year, I think I'd rather have those other teams and then watch an underdog once in a while. Like, nobody's an underdog if everybody's just random every year. 
that's my biggest thing that I like the whole David and Goliath thing that happens. I would like the Indians to be that team to like go in and bust up the Red Sox and the Yankees. Like it sort of happened last year, but the Red Sox weren't really like they had one year where they were really good. And so it wasn't really that exciting, but imagine if it was the Red Sox getting in the playoffs every year and getting to the world series and the Indians went in and swept them. It, it would be, it was still exciting, but it would have been even better. I think because the Indians aren't going to make it every year. So no matter what, you're not going to be able to watch them in the world series. So, I think I'd rather watch a really Yeah, by the same token, the Indians aren't going to make it every year, so I'm not going to be particular about who they beat or any of that stuff. Like, I'm going to be thrilled with the Indians winning a postseason series no matter what. That's true. The, the bottom line is, well, we both sacrifice players to get there, I think is what we're getting at here. <laughs> That's really the key message. It doesn't matter who you are. Matt and I are both willing to have your career fall completely apart if the Indians have already won the World Series. Well, listen, in Lindor's case, like, if he's so good already, he would have got the New Balance deal. Even Like, he would have got it after he was injured. He would still get more deals because it would take a year or two before he realized his career is over, so... Lindor's fine. He would get the deals after we shatter his knees or whatever we do to him to win a World Series. So I don't want to hear hate mail from Lindor. You're fine, Francisco. I know you listen to the podcast, so I love you, but you're fine. <laughs> so the other big news of the week. Um, the other one was Mike Clevenger's debut, but we talked about that already. It, it just wove into Corey Kluber's injury so well. Um, it's Yandy Diaz coming back. He was back. Today was his first game. They brought him back. They optioned um, Sean Armstrong, which at first was kind of a weird thing because... We kind of thought it'd be Clevenger going down, but now that we know Corey Kluber's going to be out, it makes sense that Clevenger's up and Armstrong's gone. Um, but yeah, Yandy Diaz is back. He increases fly ball rate like a lot in the last week. So are you excited? I know you're not as on the Yandy Diaz train as we are, but how do you feel about him being back? Are you excited at all? Do you think there's anything going on here? Do you love the biceps? Um, <laughs> what are well, your thoughts yeah, on Yandy Diaz? I, mean, I love the biceps. I'm not a monster. <laughs> I'm not, uh... Yeah, I can't say I'm excited. I'm I'm open to him impressing me. I hope he impresses me. I hope he changes my mind about him. Which, again, it's not that I don't think he can ever be a good player. I just doubt the two weeks or whatever he's been down has been enough to get things turned around. But I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, could be. So, um, we're going to get to social media questions real quick. We don't have a whole lot of time, Jason. So, we're going to answer. I'll just grab the most important one here. Um, at Belleville Buckeye, he wants to know simply Eric Thames question mark. I don't know why I like these questions so much. Every time I get one, like they're so dumb. There's no point, but make it whatever you want. Jason, Eric Thames question mark. Uh, I'm going to say yes. He, he <laughs> is in fact a person who exists. I'm going to answer no, because I hate him for making me watch so many Brewers games. Like looking at a random slate of games if the Brewers are on. I don't know why I just want to see him hit another home run. And I've watched so many stupid, boring I've seen way more of Jesus Aguilar than I ever have in the past just to see <laughs> Eric Thames hit another home well, run. You know, he's hit, like, one home run in the last, like, 10 or 11 games. I know, so it's sort of waiting off, but... Well, so I wonder, I mean, obviously because anytime someone who wasn't already hitting 40 home runs is on pace to hit 40 home runs, there's a certain segment of fans who can, whose brains can only fathom that he must be cheating. Um, I don't know, it's not that surprising to me that... Someone with his build, which maybe Andy Diaz should ask him what he's doing because they've got a pretty similar build and one of them's getting a lot more lift. Uh, but, you know, someone who the pitchers haven't seen comes back, hits a ton of home runs, a scouting report starts to get put together on him, and things slow down. So I don't think there's anything that's suspicious. I'm less prone to be suspicious about this sort of thing anyway, but 
especially now that he's cooled off, it doesn't seem like that. It's a cool narrative. It doesn't seem suspicious to me. Yeah. Uh, over went, under 36 and a half home runs for him this season. I'll say under, really close, like 33 or 34, but I don't think he gets over it. Right. I think he slows down enough. And I think, um, like, with the whole drug testing him after, like, every single game, I I would I wonder if there is, like, an algorithm that MLB has, like, more than just hitting so many home runs. Like, there's something else that he kept triggering. Because it's obviously not random if he got tested so many times. But I don't think they're just saying we should get this guy. I think he's probably triggering something. That's just my own conspiracy theory. But, but yeah. That's our questions. <laughs> we only had a couple this week anyway. But that was, I think, the most important question that yeah. the man well, answer so to be fair we got some good questions but they were just tied into clevenger and Kluber, oh, yeah, we got a bunch of those we kind of just already talked about it was very impressive how many ways how many different ways people found to rephrase clevenger and merits or clevenger and kluber's situation because <laughs> there was a bunch they were all just different enough to be different questions about the same exact thing so um the stream went down so nobody's listening live but thank you everyone listening tomorrow um on tuesday Thank you, Jason, for joining me as always, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.